Talking to people about making it work. Hello, this is Brian and Charlie, and uh, we are here catching up on an old conversation from March with Akil and Seth of Resolve, which is a London-based collective. That does not mean that they only work in London. Actually, they have a track record of many different collaborations across, especially Europe, but also outside of Europe. And perhaps it's something that does unfold Resolve Collective a little bit is the conversation about their name, Resolve. And besides that, their whole working process and projects, I think, reflect very much like a community approach, a collaborative mindset and... Um, Besides actually being family related, some of them, that's irrelevant, but then also approaching network and uh, co-workers as some kind of a family. That's also where we start off with the conversation. It, yeah, it, it revolves around a series of keywords, really, doesn't it? Uh, and also sort of unpacking or unfolding the meaning of these as they work within their actual actual practice. But Before we talk a little bit more about that, I think it would be nice to address the fact that we've been absent for quite some months and, you know, it's it's a characteristic of being freelance and doing a podcast on the side uh, that things come up, but also events emerge because it's not your main job. You, can't, you can just push it aside. No, it's true. And that that's the honesty of this uh, conversation, at least that. It was recorded in March and here we are in November in and with loads of events in between, both personal and professional. So when just having listened through the conversation again, I did think actually a lot of the things that we speak about, and I guess also what the listeners will be confronted with, is that uh, we speak about projects, which obviously we at the moment of time have just been reading up on or looking into or hearing about in preparation for this talk with Resolve Collective. And actually a lot of them now listening back, I do not necessarily remember the um, links or the context or like we speak about the Sheffield project or Resolve Collective were somehow also having a connection to the Netherlands at that moment in March 2021, where they were fellows of the new institute. Yeah, so speaking now, at least like we should have in mind that all these things, like they've moved on. I'm not sure what, um, how it turned out, that fellowship, because it was quite affected by the lack of movement, I guess. I mean, did you know what they, uh, what was the sort of output there? Um, I mean, what I know is that there was three different fellows selected and it was within this very broad theme of different ways of organizing or questioning cultural organization. I do remember seeing a very beautiful proposal coming by from them, which was very much reflecting also things that we were talking about in our conversation to Seth and Akil, like um, very people-focused and looking at our organization as an uh, alliance across different networks and groups, um, regardless of the context. Yeah. No, I mean, that, but that's like a nice segue to maybe at least like reflecting on what they 
what they were about, I guess, um, and what they were talking about specifically. Because like, yeah, that's a nice thing about distance as well is like you work out what's the thing that stuck with you, maybe even like you held on to as like, this is a useful tool to, or orientation to uh, bring to other projects. And for me, it was this term, who's on what, which uh, we'll get to in the discussion, a sort of a London colloquial term that they use quite flexibly within their work. But specifically seems to concern how to access the, the, the communities and the places that you're working in. And also like actually be useful to them, especially when you're coming as an outsider to those places, how you actually do it. And, you know, that it's very simple idea, really, that you just reach out to the organisations that exist there and you reach out with a very open and friendly offer to um, to do something. I, I quite like how they also really valued the... Um insights that they could get from locals in the area whenever they would do or are doing projects in places that they're not familiar with themselves. So like this uh, anthropological insight that it takes years for professionals to collect, which is just, I guess, observations that you do not even consider valuable necessarily while being a local. Considering the people in the areas like that is already making or introducing a lot of their working approach, I think, which is incredibly driven by the people that they both then can work with in specific contexts, but also aim to reach, I guess, like considering them yeah, as yeah. Um, already containing a lot of important knowledge and insights. Yeah, no, I, I also found it just super encouraging with regards to being in the Netherlands and it's always been a bit of a frustration of mine that when I was in England it, it just felt a lot more straightforward that you could you know like go to someone who is more grounded in a specific area and reach out to them it, I, I always thought like that kind of thing couldn't happen here that I couldn't just you know turn up somewhere but they turned up in this place where lots of people okay some people spoke English but most people maybe didn't and the kids that they work with definitely don't and it was like through the working with your hands like getting an actual you know the, the sort of tangible and tactile element of the project was where it really started to click and they even say like the kids English maybe even got a bit better as the project proceeded you know that like you know that language specifically verbal language isn't necessarily the the barrier that it seems at first it's it's a bit of a it can kind of affect your level of confidence in reaching these places but it sh it's, it needn't actually limit you once you're actually working you know I don't know it's I nice. think it goes quite well hand in hand with this question about their personal educational background because I mean setting up this collective and doing the kind of work that they're doing does not necessarily reflect the conventional things that they've learned through their education, like institutional education. So these things that you're speaking about as well are kind of things that you have to learn, I guess, being on ground or just like in the situation, learning how to work with people or how to connect 
somehow perhaps in those situations it's even beneficial not necessarily having any predetermined knowledge on how yeah. you should do it, but just doing it in the way yeah. that seems the most reasonable at that specific place in that specific moment. Thinking about this talk a bit in the broader context of uh, making it work, which is the topic that we've been addressing throughout several conversations, um, then their reflection on how the things that they've learned, the things that they've used are not necessarily directly traceable back to their education. This is something that I think also it's it's recognizable for, in our case, for instance. I mean, a lot of the things that we are doing or even perhaps having these conversations are not classical tools of our educational academic background. Yeah, and I think that is uh, more common than uncommon throughout this the series of talks that we've had yeah my own experience certainly in undergraduate studying history like it was nowhere near this kind of thing it was all about a body of knowledge that you had to acquire and then reapply in essay form and the idea that it had uh, any kind of echoes or resonances with like you know community organizing or um community engagement or setting up a business or setting up some sort of um platform yeah it took a long distance away from that experience for for me personally to think about those sorts of things and um even to like get out of england i think that was also what drove my question was both of them studied in yeah, like in england as well and yeah it's interesting to see or find out how people in general break out of those kinds of um disciplinary uh, boundaries so yeah that was pretty good yeah if initiating a collective or in any way creating establishing independent projects then you somehow do put yourself in a position where you write the funding application you do the qualitative research like you're out in the field you have to talk to people you have to approach them in different ways maybe you're also then the one who's finding physical spaces to do things in thinking about how the spaces are shaped or inviting for usage and then perhaps almost likely you also form somehow the communication or the distribution of whatever project like so there's so many different roles that I guess it's yeah it's quite common that you somehow could have five different titles on your resume yeah I mean in general just like it's it's very very nice to reflect on that from the basis of having spent the first three years of my working life in like a full-time job in a very big institution, uh, the National Health Service in England. And thinking back at that and, and thinking about, you know, there, there's there's obviously just probably moments that if I gave it some thought, I could remember of, of where like I'm in this sort of platform, you know, environment where suddenly I'm like, okay, so there's not a department for this. Like, I guess I'm the one who's supposed to do this or like, I don't know, then then it kind of evolves into these other things. Indeed, like you work out how to sort of run a business by like just the very fact of no one else being there to do it for you, you know? Holding on to that word platform, which is a thing of mine to bring up. It's such a vague notion that also makes it difficult and interesting to speak about or ask people about. Platform also comes up in, the, in this conversation with Resolve Collective. They have a very nice way of, of thinking about, or actually 
Having reflected upon that when they use the terminology platform, it's not as creating something new, but more creating the connections across different parties or collaborators that they work with. Yes, I think I think there's a quite organic understanding of what a platform in a cultural organizational way is or how it benefits. Thinking about that also immediately makes me think like those sorts of places probably were more ubiquitous in cities when there wasn't such an uh, sort of pressure on like property prices and things like that. It, it's a shame just hearing it. There's a certain bittersweet thing for me is like these sorts of things should be everywhere. <laughs> um, and people like Seth and Akil and the others in Resolve, you know, like there's not enough people doing this kind of thing because they can't because there's not space, not because there's not enough people who want to do it. Um, it is the sort of economic and sort of spatial pressure on people living in the city. But anyway, uh, we've probably been speaking for too long already now. So uh, I guess without further ado, let's roll the conversation. Let's go. Yeah, we've probably got like six questions or something like that. Um, we'll try and get through them all. But um, the first one, I guess, like as a also maybe an opportunity for an introduction. So, you know, you can talk about yourselves more broadly, but be interested to know about the name Resolve. Yeah, we had a talk, a short talk about Resolve and how Resolve also can mean something like, um, like a decision or a focus or... Um, direction and somehow we see a lot of openness and more perspectives than a lot of your work so we would be curious to hear you give a bit of insight yeah because I, I guess like resolve sounds a bit like you're concluding you know rather than opening up right and we somehow see the opposite in yeah, work, yeah. so yeah I'm, gl I'm glad you guys see the opposite i think that when we when we started what we always say to people sometimes when they ask questions like we weren't called resolve so we started in a very haphazard way and we just you know we wanted to be to make something in brixton which is kind of like our local area and you know we just tried to do it and we tried to enter the brixton design trail and we didn't have a budget we were just guys friends just trying to do something um and resolve somehow materialized later so kind of after that or, or maybe midway through that. And so I, I can't even remember the conversation or the logic behind why we did it. Gam, who was our third member, was definitely a driver behind it. But so there's not like a very strict teleology to it, right? It's not like we always refer back to it being like, yeah, but we're resolved. So what is, you know, what does it mean to be like that? So for that reason, it has the kind of flexibility. It's quite loose. Like I think resolve is in having resolve is a big part of it. I think Seth and I have a lot of resolve in or well, I'd, like, I'd like to think we do, you know, and finding ourselves in really tricky situations. Like we've been in really sticky situations where it's hard to get out of, or it's like required a lot of willpower in order to make something work. And I think that really attests a lot to it. And then uh, as well, like on the other side, I think I'm sure this was part of the original conversation, but I can't be sure. And that like this idea of all, all our practices aren't towards solving questions. We're not kind of interested in a problem solution model of design, but really about asking questions uh, and asking better questions. And so I think 
this idea of like re-solving, right? This like kind of revising this like, the, the idea of what it is to solve anything, and we try and be explicit in that, even in like the bio and stuff. Like we say, like we address addressing issues rather than like solving issues. Um, yeah, I get an, I, like kind of emerging awareness that like it it does seem like you've thought quite carefully about certain terms that you're using, you know, and in terms of their ability to sort of make contact with the people you're working with and sort of I don't know be familiar rather than uh, I'm thinking mainly about the the word family um and but also uh, there are a few more and I think we might come back to a few like community is quite a big part of of things and that's kind of like quite an accessible word in a conversation with Sheffield University Architecture Society recently you were talking about how you like go out and about before a project and then there's also this and we'll come definitely come back to this this who's on what and you know just I guess to formulate it into a question how important is getting language right for for the sort of beginnings of of any project you do um it's a difficult one because we the 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 Sheffield example um, like spending a lot of time in a place, in an area, getting really, really like super familiar with an area. A lot of those things come about, and I think this is what happens in our practice, and it's probably, it's our own fault for not being that hugely reflective. Akil and I aren't really that like reflective individuals, but a lot of that happened just because that's the way that we operate and because we had to. So we started in areas that we were super local and familiar to. We then were shot out into areas that we had no idea of. So we worked in, we did this, um, that conference in Slovenia. Um, and then we worked in Berlin, we worked in Lisbon and, and we would, and we were in these areas and it's like, okay, we ha- we don't have the familiarity that we could fall back on, but we still have the intentions and we still have the desire. So what are we going to do? And it was like that our first thought is to be like, okay, who's on anything here? Like, what are people doing in these areas? What are people up to? Who's on what? Is like, is that, that's the colloquial term, right? So that's the, that is our initial gut feeling. So what we did was we just like went on Twitter, went on Instagram, went on any form we knew, spoke to anyone that we knew and being like, well, look, we're in Berlin. We're trying to do a project. We don't really know what it's going to look like. We don't really know what we're going to do, but who wants to chat to us? And we had some really good conversation and that helped steer us. We did the same, same in Sheffield. And then it was only after that we started to like, like formalize those things and put a kind of name to it and be like, oh, actually, this is actually integral to our practice. And now when we're teaching these students, we're like, this is a thing that is actually integral to what we think is good practice. But I think it came out of habit more often than not. And it's the same with the terms. Like when we use family, we just, we use that because that's just what we're thinking. That's how we feel, right? That's how we feel when we're in our spaces. That's how we feel towards the people that we're initially working with. And it very much was a family affair in the first couple of projects, right? It was, we had a couple of friends who were doing a little thing. We had to call up a friend who was doing this and that. We met a lot of people just out on the road and formed really good connections with them. And I guess it's like we were much more familiar and it felt like family more than just like a, more than a a work relationship. Do you know what I mean? And then it's only now looking back we're now starting to be like, oh shit, like these terms, these ways of looking at things are actually quite useful to practice. It's interesting that about that that reflection on it being just terms that we would have otherwise said. I feel like because a lot of what we're trying to do, especially when we're working with different communities, wherever it is, is like valuing local and tacit knowledge. Like all those processes are about this 
there's being able to value those locals and tacit knowledge like especially when working with young people it's encouraging them to to realize that the knowledge you have of your area is valuable knowledge is things that people study for years for like it's anthropological knowledge it's sociological knowledge it's disciplinary if you want it to be it's valuable in, in a fiscal way or a social way or an architectural way if you want it to be it, it's translatable in that respect and it's just hearing Seth say that now which I don't think we've ever talked about is like some of the things that we've internalized from us growing up in our area have become these kind of practice principles and the names for them are often colloquial names because that's how we think that's how we talk to one another even with like one of our newest members she said that she struggles to understand so i remember talking together because we're talking so much slang <laughs> and i but it's like it's a communication of the rawness of that principle it's like who's on what is what you say when you're actually trying to find out like what the crack is, like who is on what. Like you might be trying to see which one of your friends wants to go out tonight. You might want to understand who's who's on your side, who's not in a situation. It can be a call. It doesn't have to even be a question. So like when we did it in the AA unit, when we've named it, it's not a question. It's not who's on what question mark uh, because it can be a statement as well. And I think like that vagueness that comes with language, that comes with slang or like dialect, the ambiguity or that something can be imbued with so many different meanings, I think is like definitely part of the practice for sure. I think uh, we have we have a few questions that might come back to what you just talked about, actually. Somehow you answered a lot of all of our questions here. But speaking of ways of working, also vagueness of terms somehow and how they then apply in different contexts. Personally, I have a quite an interest in how the usage of platform, like the idea of a platform is being used in many different contexts and also often in organizational and cultural work as well. And when when reading your about section, which is not a very long one, half of it almost is about how, I'm going to quote you now here, uh, how you um, provide platforms for the production of new knowledge and ideas whilst collaborating and organizing to help build resilience in our communities. And then it continues, if I may. Uh, <laughs> an integral part of this way of working means designing with and for young people and underrepresented groups in society. Here design encompasses both physical and systemic intervention, exploring ways of using a project site as a resource and working with different communities as stakeholders in the Short and long-term management of projects. Okay, anyhow, it's it's beautiful. Um, but the platform here, how do you think of... Because, of course, there's an immediate way of working with communities, but when you say that you, you aim to provide a platform, what do you think defines a platform in this context, or for you, at least in your work? So... I think this is again one of the ones where it's worth us kind of maybe going back in order to answer the question in that like when we first, our first project that we did, which was Rebel Space in Brixton, and then the next part of that, which was Passageway, what we were trying to do was also, we had that approach, the who's and what approach, so we had this approach of understanding what's already going on in this area, like connecting with people, connecting with what people are already doing, and finding ways to include that in the space. And we saw space as an opportunity to do that, as an opportunity to connect things that are already happening and, and to kind of be able to highlight and to celebrate things that are already happening. And that's a big part of platforming, I think. It's not about necessarily the creation of new things, but how you connect and configure old things in a way in which we can you, you understand them as valuable and, and, and you show them to be valuable against a context which is 
desperately trying to erase them, which is making it more difficult then, for example, like artists of color um, who feature a lot in all of our projects when we're platforming these things, or even on a more kind of empathetical scale, like people who just don't feel like they could do those things, you know, within our projects, in one way or another, we get we have a lot of people who haven't done the thing that they're doing there before. We have performance artists who haven't performed before, poets who've never spoken live before, artists who've never exhibited before. And like, when we were coming up, we were always begging for an opportunity. Like we're, we're I guess we're part of that generation that was really always trying to beg for an opportunity, always at someone's heels, always trying to hand our CVs down at Croydon High Street, always trying to hand out mixtapes outside Elephant and Castle. Like we, we that's we, we were the, we're the last of that generation, right? Where we are actually asking for handouts <laughs> with handouts in our hands, and so like. Once we get somewhere, it's like, damn, okay, let's 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 share this. Let's who's again the question, who's on what? Like, let's let's see if we can get some people into this. Let's see if we can do this. Let's see if we like. Do you do you guys do this? All right, cool. Why don't you come and do that on Friday? And and, and that's really important. Like, obviously, it's so difficult. Like that part is one of the parts we enjoy the most, but like we can't be able to do because of COVID. Because even the movement of inclusion changes when when you're restricted. You have to be able to plan that uh, in COVID, and a lot of the success that we've had in the past around that is being entirely unplanned. Like the best way of doing that for us is like leaving the door open so someone will feel more like enticed to come through. And you come through and you say, what do you do? And they say some stuff and it's like, okay, like how, why, don't you, why don't you put some art up? But like, why don't you do this? I mean, it um, goes very much along with, I guess, also like the origin of platform being rooted in architecture as a form or a surface that supports what's on it or on top of it. It also seems that you're working quite a lot with thinking about or creating, also establishing accessible infrastructures. Somehow there's a link here also with the platform idea thing. I had a sort of, it's a slightly related question. I, I just reading and like listening to you two talk previously, like it, I, to me it feels like there's quite, I mean, you've, you mentioned the word We're going back to key words again, like systems a lot. The question of systems thinking. We've both read this book by Fred Turner called From Counterculture to Cyberculture. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's about Stuart Brand and the Whole Earth Catalogue back in the 70s. Good, good book, isn't it? It's a good sort of history of things. It, but it, it talks about the effect of cybernetics sort of thinking on, on post-war American society. Anyway, like reading that and then hearing what you guys are up to, like it, it felt very much like that was an influence. And I also was kind of thinking that there's, it reminds me a lot like what you're doing, thinking through things like the idea of the organic intellectual, Gramsci's idea, kind of trying to give some cohesion to grounded knowledge, I, I suppose, and that kind of thing. Anyway... Those are two things that like made me think of what you were up to, but I'd be interested more broadly, and I think our listeners would be in finding out what like what are your influences. I think it's it's really varied. It's it's super super varied. I think like well, it's varied, and and there are also two prongs, two varied batches of of, of potential answers. I think on one hand, Seth can definitely talk more about this because you talked about it quite well, Seth. Like our inspirations are very much who we're working around. And we draw on a lot of energy from those people. And that comes back to this family idea. And I think if it hadn't been for, for the people that we're around, I, I don't know if we'd, we'd still be doing this. I don't know if we'd still have the drive to, to do this. The inspiration that we receive from these people is, is just 
completely unfathomable. And like the name list goes on. And whenever we give talks and presentations about the way in which we work, we often refer to and we kind of show the pictures of those people. You know, it can be people who are close to us in a day-to-day sense, like Rosa Johan Uda, who we share a, a workshop with, who we share a studio with. Or it could be people who we've actually never met physically, but we're continuously scheming on always, like the Birmingham family, like Amara, like Imi. Um, and that goes really wide. So I think that's one thing about the inspiration. That, and, and then the second, in terms of like the actual concepts, I think the, the kickstart really was a kind of heroism and this idea of being able to meet problems or to meet breakages with quick and easy things. This was all kind of like rooted in this idea of scarcity being a resource and how we work imaginatively with scarce resources. It's a reflection on how we practice and how we were educated through creative practice. How we try and work with like lots of waste materials, we try and work with things like this. Um, But then also a kind of reflection on, I guess, in some ways, like a, a cultural background. I think when we first did Rebel Space, we were thinking about these kind of beautiful heroisms of West African urbanism and also Caribbean urbanism. And that got lost somewhere. We didn't really talk about that after talking about it to one another. But I hope we retained it in some way, visually, honest, or, 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 or architecturally, maybe. And then since then, it, it becomes broader. It's, you know, like, we had a period where we were super influenced by Theaster Gates. We just loved anything to do with Theaster Gates. And that was just a massive influence on, like, what the type of thing we were trying to do. There was a lot of the mapping and methodological approach we've been influenced by. It's been Kevin Lynch and the kind of citizen composite imagery. But much, much less concerned with codifying much, much less concerned with how we kind of translate that into something that's quantifiable, but more about the performance of mapping. So sometimes it really is a bastardization of, when it comes to the real concepts, it can be a bastardization of them, right? It can be a kind of like latching onto one thing that we think, oh, that's great, not fantastically concerned with the rest of it. And then taking it into a practice where you can just spin it around and you can do really interesting things with it. You don't have to stick to it like a cannon, right? It's not God-given. It's it's there to be utilized. It's there to be appropriated. But on, on education, I mean, you, you come with different backgrounds in urban studies, architecture, engineering. Anyway, but your work with community as well, or um, actually being on ground, creating accessible formats for people, different people to join in on, that's not necessarily classical elements that you are being taught in education where does that come from how has it been introduced to your practice i had this extra little thing to say which was just that um I, i've just started teaching at this place and the the syllabus is i can't really do much about it but it's it's focused on like individual architects most of them are actually all of them are white men And you know, it's very much focused on the brilliance of the individual architect and, you know, the 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 arcane discipline continues, you know. And uh, yeah, I, I just I feel a little bit like um, I never really learned much until master's level uh, community participation in city strategies was the uh, was the unit with Michael Edwards. I don't know if you're familiar with him at UCL. Um, yeah, and it really opened my uh, eyes, thinking like this is this is what people should be doing. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, th I think I'd just be interested to know how you've found rubbing up against the sort of, um, I guess, rigidity of formal architectural engineering um, design education. Well, I guess I might be a like a good and a bad example of this because I don't I don't have a like formal design education um, at all. So. 
I did history and then started to work in regen and development and then just made it up as I went along from there. But it was through like what I, the way I studied and what I studied meant that I was interested in communities and development and developing countries and all this kind of like stuff that you're, that you fantasize about when you're in uni. Um, but it was only then working in the local authority and getting a bit more familiar with the built environment on the ground and that this process that you understand all of the different actors, all of the different contributors and all of the energy that goes into these processes. And that was always, for me, that was the place I wanted to be. So then kind of teaming up with Akil, we teamed up because, and this links back a little bit back to the platforming approach. It links back to everything, actually. We teamed up because we thought that space could be like an interesting place to test our ideas and to think about like community participation and development and the future of areas and cities and have a positive impact within our area in a good way, right? Space was quite a good opportunity for us. Um, Akil had a more spatial background. I perhaps had a more kind of people-focused background. But in doing that, it meant that that was always our priority, was, was spaces, but then also the people within those spaces and so, so then all of our inspirations, all of our influences, all of our collaborators, all of everything from there has followed that trend. So we, we've, we've kind of steered away from the like traditional conversations around, you know, whether it's architecture, engineering or, or whatever it is. And I think we've always gone straight toward working with people and thinking about initiatives that work with people and for people and in those communities. Well, being on like being people focused i think like i think like you're saying charlie there is an ostensible rigidity or an ostensible opposition between that and the kind of individualism the the almost the kind of solipsism of like star, star architectural tradition and perhaps even just the tradition of all these disciplines engineering included um all of them include really artists all around this cult of personality all around like individual practice obviously there is so much behind that right there's so much behind that and when we group things into disciplines i think it's very easy to say even being like european traditions of time or being categorized goes against western traditions of occultism so there's obvious variation within these disciplines however like the one that we can have so often inherit the version we so often inherit is one in which you know these mores happen to be the ones that are kind of front and centre. But so I think so even though there is that ostensible rigidity, you know, like actually there, there is so much behind those disciplines that it's just really agreeable with like being on the ground and really agreeable with being able to offer conjuncture rather than solutions and really agree with all those things. And so, you know, it's, it's so often that we find ourselves thinking and looking at historical parallels or looking at things where it's like, oh, wow, like being down for time. And that's a macro reflection of, of what we see in the micro. We go to an area and the people are talking about all the problems and lo and behold, there's like amazing amounts of social capital in the area. People organizing to do amazing things like community organizers, individuals who are keeping everything together without whom the whole thing would fall apart, really integral to the social fabric of that area. And that to me is strength. It's not about 
problems. It's about catalyzing exactly what's already there. And so when we're doing that, it's not necessarily about trying to take a hammer to the discipline of architecture, although it's neither here nor there to either of us what happens with our architecture, right? Like no one in Resolve cares. But <laughs> as for the set of ideas, I think like, you know, you often, you so often find resonance um, and you just, it's just about looking hard enough. And like, I certainly find that as a practitioner, I find that as a student, uh, and then reconfiguring those bits that you like and like and, and those bits that I'd like speak to it and like making that into a meaningful practice, making that into a meaningful conceptual underpinning. Yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm sticking up for, for architecture right? the, the, or the institution. Like, it's re- I'm very, very ambivalent. But it's also taking yourself out of the equation or taking us as like an individual and, and us as Akil and Seth, even us as like Resolve Collective out of the equation. And that's one, one of the reasons when you're talking about iterations, like... I always bark on about the Hilary Cotton rad- radical help. Always, always, always. And I think it's because it was constant. When I was reading it, it was the first time that I felt someone had pieced together the thing that I had been thinking and discussing with Akil for a long, long time, which is much more around like testing in the field, combining different skills in order to understand exactly, in, in, in order to like, integrate with the conversation and understand some of the challenges and therefore proposing solutions within the community, within the areas that you're working with, within the areas that you're trying to create an impact in and using a really like interdisciplinary approach in order to do that and accepting failures, accepting successes, but importantly, like taking yourself out of this equation, taking yourself and perhaps your intentions out of the equation. And I think we, a lot of the time, especially like the platforming thing is a great example. It Because we don't categorize ourselves as we are this, Akil is that, and I am this, therefore we produce that. A space is is nothing it doesn't like we would get no joy from just seeing a space just there empty looking like amazing whilst people just walk past it and like lord at how how many banana boxes we've used to to create arches in a space like that there's there's never a moment where we're thinking that and it's because like you we, we we're always trying to remove ourselves out of that equation and the only, the times we take most joy is when everyone is in the space using it partying, celebrating, showing their work, kind of having a discussion that we think is super interesting, like fueling new ideas, hopefully taking some of those ideas and applying them in a new scenario without us. Um, and that means that I think we can, yeah, we can kind of stay true to, to that throughout the work that we do. For sure. I mean, like on, on that, and sorry to keep going on this, like on that, I think that thing about the photographer, the photograph, I've been thinking about it often, like a lot recently, and about like how there is an architectural tradition of the almost the photograph as the client, right? You know, it's like, it's it's not necessarily about about the building. It's not necessarily, it's necessarily about post-occupancy reports. It's actually about how the thing looks and how it looks is also what wins you more work. How it looks is, is in a practical sense is your client because it's what makes you money and in a kind of philosophical sense is what you work towards. And you can see that in like kind of in this new Instagram architecture, you can see in all sorts of things, but also, you know, much older traditions. But like for us, it's like the, the photographer and the photograph is an employee right? The photograph has to work for us. So, you know, just like, for example, the passageway project with the banana boxes photographed so badly, it was like, 
the boxes, the light was really, really yellow, very, very yellow. And there was dust in the space always, just like permadust, always in the air. And on top of that, the brownness of the boxes would soak up just a lot of the tones that you'd want to come out in a nice photo. And so we really had the, like Vishnu, who's taken all of our photos, has been fantastic, really had to push he had to push that camera to work for us to make the space look good. And even then, the final pictures of the space with no one in it look, look kind of average, man, kind of average at best. Uh, they reveal a little bit too much about the heroism, like things aren't really working together and some bits are falling apart. The bits where it comes alive is when people are partying in the space. And when people are in the success giving a talk in the space or like people are up like doing random things, like putting up their photos or whatever, like there has to be that element of it to it. And I think like, we, this has not been formulated by either of us, but I think there will be an element when, you know, work that we produce is, if it, when it becomes more temporary or for what that already is more temporary, how we kind of negotiate this idea of the photograph client and like really dismiss it. Like that is very much the antithesis of what we're trying to do. And, you know, how we maybe employ other media as well as photography to to document a space to, to alter to evidence what's happened in there. I don't know. I don't know. Straight thoughts now. It's thoughts that I think we can relate quite a lot to working with a lot of coders, photographers, graphic designers as well. Actually, it's something that we constantly challenge in a lot of our projects. So we have a project going on now called The Art of Documenting Art. And it's only every time we have a new work being made, it's we have to kind of reinvent the way it, that it's documented. And actually, it's rooted in a work which is was in this building by Lawrence Wiener. It got painted over. Nobody knew how or what or why. Somehow it's a myth or there's a lot of gossip around it. And the worst thing is that it's so poorly documented that there's only one small pixelated image of it. And somehow it creates a lot of space for imagination. But um, but no, it's, it's a really interesting aspect because in the end, I guess now, COVID-wise, we're quite confronted with how incredibly important also the uh, documentation becomes because it's how it's, it's how majority of people actually is gonna come by or come across the work. I am kind of curious and because it seems that your practice have, have developed quite a lot also in, in the direction of working abroad, working in other countries and Do you experience that that changes your way of working as in like how do you work with the community in a context where you do know nothing and where you maybe not are not fluent to the language and such yeah um you, you always describe this quite well which is like we always take the approach of starting as locals and then developing into practitioners and that means like understanding what it means to be a local but also integrating that within your practice which is what we've spoken about before and I think taking that approach especially when we're in unfamiliar environments really helps us it really it really helps us work alongside pre-existing groups it helps us lower some of the immediate barriers between ourselves and other people within those spaces and it kind of it, it creates a bit more of an interesting conversation I'd say It creates a bit more of an interesting conversation with the people that we're working with in those local contexts. We have worked across Europe, but it's also, you face that when you work outside of London as well. And I think you face it in a really interesting way when you work outside of London, because you also have to get over the fact that you're from London and therefore not from London, which is, yeah, it's important. It's important in the kind of 
in the psyche of a lot of people in the UK. So taking this, like thinking locally, valuing locally into our practice is always super, super helpful. And also I think we always tend to try and let the process do a lot of the talking as well. So we come in, as Akil said, we come in with a lot of questions, but we also come in with a lot of opportunities for people to input in on the process and a lot of processes that are quite open. So it's always really helpful when you're, rather than talking to someone when you're making something or you're talking about making something. And that was how we, like, that's how we worked with this school in, in Germany who, I reckon, I was class of 45, I reckon two of them or three of them spoke like a couple of words of English. And the teacher did a great job of translating, but the whole exhibition was about, it was about like philosophy. It was about um, Afro-German philosophy. <laughs> and we were trying to explore it through materials, through, through like a material exploration of this Afro-German philosopher, Anton Wilhelm Amo and his kind of take on duality and dualism. So we did this talk, we gave the spiel, the first 15 minutes, do you remember, where we were presenting yeah, 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 work, <laughs> and, we, and we were presenting, we were presenting the, the, the theories. And honestly, we look, look around the room and we're like, and everyone's looking at us and they're going, we thought, well, I looked at Gil, we thought, all right, we've lost them. And we've got them for the whole day. And, and this is like an integral part of our process, right? We, we wanted to explore the, the process with others, especially with young people. We get to making, not only do they start to grasp the concepts that we're talking about, I think their English improves. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they become more confident in like talking with us about yeah. what we're doing, about the process. And, and about the concept, remember? Because people were talking about dualism. Do, and that was yeah. because we had the heat guns out, we had the yeah. hammers out, yeah. we had the knives. And, the, and that was the intention. The process was always going to be we are coming, we're going to lay out a couple of tools and materials and we're going to evolve this with you. Um, and we've had that approach in a lot of the spaces that we've, we've worked in that are outside of our familiar. I guess it's pretty good not to have too many language misunderstandings when you have like knives and hammers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm also curious, Anna, at least maybe perhaps speaking from personal experience from some of our tools or works, conversations um, in other countries is that we're also incredibly often then confronted with um, different infrastructures or how like um, finance is different, how funding is different and how much it also changes the way or the drive of community work, of cultural work as well. And that was also a bit what I had in mind when asking like how much it affects your work working in other um, across countries without knowing a lot about your work, there's an impression of that it is about infrastructures and also looking at institutions and uh, educational models, perhaps. Yeah, I think um, it does vary a lot in the, with the context. And you're right, because each context presents within that context a kind of very different configuration of funding, of institutional space and of kind of infrastructural possibility, I guess. But the um, I, I, I think there is... Again, these are all like really recent conversations that I guess we're kind of regurgitating to you, but it's like we've worked within the UK context and we've worked somewhat within the European context, like particularly in Germany, but like now obviously with new and you know, COVID has really painted the picture of that for us. So it's hard to say with any kind of rudity. Um, but to take the German context particularly, because we've now had two projects in there, three almost, you know, it's the differences aren't as different 
aren't di- the differences aren't different enough. <laughs> the differences aren't different enough to stop us from like walking up to a community center and asking people what the crack is, or for people to us to be able to work with local with galleries who want to work with local schools. Kunstri and Braunschweig were so extraordinarily eager to work with local schools. Tate Modern are interested in local working schools. S1 Art Space in Sheffield are interested in working schools. The remit is very similar. And so I think the European context is actually broadly more similar than it seems to be. And, you know, there, there, there are nuances behind that, like ways in which funding is, is attained, how you have to kind of configure yourself to be funded. I don't know if we could be a limited company in Germany and still work on the same projects we would like to do. Like all of those things might be different, but essentially, the work is similar and the intentions are similar. Like we recently gave a talk with Julia, with Julia King, who I work with at LSE, and we, it was in, in inverted commas, in Venezuela. And I think we got that same, a similar blackness to what Seth was talking about with the German context, but I, I think this was a philosophical blackness. I, so one of the things that we are always reflecting on is, you know, our backgrounds are Jamaican, so we're, we're from a diaspora in London. And one of the things that we had always love to do in like a very deep sense was to one day do something in Jamaica or one day have like a kind of work connection there in a meaningful way but our both of our hesitancies always is like would they actually like what we do would they actually well you know in in the Jamaican context is it something that's even necessary is it something that's wanted is something that's necessary how does it fit in that context and that is a huge question mark and if the Venezuelan like reaction with anything to go by like I don't know with any certainty what the answer is I hope some of them like some of them followed on Instagram afterwards so I hope they liked it but it's like it was very you know god knows what like what and and, and that's something I think we're probably going to need to address at some point you've, you've been, been listening, listening to Fanfara Tetetet with Freya Kier and Charlie Clemos with music provided by Safian thank, thank you, you for, for listening, listening.